This is Bree. This is Fatina. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back. Welcome back. Yeah. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. What's the, uh, oh, Shady's back. Back again. That's what, at first I was like, in my head, I was like, is that Backstreet Boys? But back is in the name of Backstreet Boys. And I was like, no, that's no, Eminem. No, different that's one. That's definitely Eminem. <laughs> so much to all of our listeners and followers on social media for just reaching out about my family. Everyone's doing really good. We are still in the hospital for a little bit longer, but um, no need to fret. Everyone is good and healthy. And I'm at Fatina's this week back in Yay. our normal podcasting location. Um, and it's nice and cozy in here because it's freaking freezing outside. Yes, it is. In Portland. We just did a thermometer check yeah, on the ground. Did. And the ground is at a a cool 33 degrees, but honestly, I feel like um, it's colder than that. Yes. With the wind chill? With the wind chill. Yeah, so, it's really cold. I, I mean, I, I go through this every year. I was like so, like by the end of summer, I'm um, so ready for fall to be here. Yeah. And then it's like, once we kind of get into this like late January, early February, I'm like, okay, it can start warming up a little yeah. bit. But I won't try to sound that ungrateful because it's usually really wet in Oregon. That's true. Over winter, and we've had a really, really dry one. Not only that, but we also have had some snow scares. Yeah. Yeah. And it's in the forecast for next week, too. Oh, my gosh. So we'll, well see. We'll see what happens. Hopefully it holds off. I love the snow, but yes, people don't know how to drive in it here, and no, that's what gives me anxiety. They do not. <laughs> they do not. And trust me. Working in insurance, I can tell you, <laughs> people forget how to do all sorts of things in the snow. <laughs> people forget they have brakes. Yeah, <laughs> it's just blinkers, so bad. blinkers, all the things. I mean, yeah. Ugh. Well, this case is going to take us to somewhere slightly warmer. Um, it happens in Portland. Oh, but in Portland, Texas. Dang it. Okay. Yeah. But yay, Texas. But yay, Texas. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't done a Texas case in a long time. I, yeah, I, um, it's been, a, it's been a minute. Yeah. For sure. We did Florida for a while. There was a good run of Florida. Yeah. I specifically Googled Texas when okay, I was looking good. for a case. I was like, 2012, Texas, so. Oh, just random it's, year. Yeah, it's just fun to. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, I just pick random, <laughs> you know, roll the dice, see what you land on. Sometimes there's nothing, and then other times you get a good one like this. That's so. great. I have no idea what you're talking about i had not ever heard of this case um i i, I want to say i think it got a decent amount of media coverage given some of the details of it but um yeah we'll see if it pops up in anybody's minds i only found one other podcast that had covered oh this case those um, are fun a pretty popular one so some of you you know if you li listen to multiple true crime podcasts you may have heard about this case but um, nonetheless, we will get into it. This is the case of Molly Ogleen. And this takes place in 2012 in Portland, Texas. And it is the night of June 22nd. And Molly Ogleen and Mary Christine Chapa. Molly is 18. Mary Christine Chapa is 19. Um, Mary actually goes by her middle name, so she'll be known as Christine for okay. the rest of the story. 
these two girls were on their way to a date night. They were a new couple. They had been dating for about five months. And yeah, they were out on a little date night, but for whatever reason, they missed their movie time. And so Molly wanted to take Christine out to Violet Andrews Park. And this was a popular nature park in the area where people would do like a lot of bird watching. Um, it kind of had these really cute like little overlook areas oh, like where the water was. Um, so, yeah, it, it looked like a really, really pretty park. It's also giving me like make out point vibes. One hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. And this was a site that Molly wanted to take Christine to because it was a place, it was the place that she had been baptized. Oh, okay. So it kind of, you know, was really special to her and she wanted to take her new girlfriend out there. And what started out as a fun date night for the couple very quickly became a nightmare. So the next morning, June 23rd, at about 8.30 a.m., there was a couple in the park that was out there for bird watching. Okay. Their names were Chris and then her husband, Stan. And, yeah, they were out there, you know, trying to catch some birds and see what was going on. And the two end up over at one of the little overlook places, a viewing deck, and they discover two women's bodies underneath this viewing deck. Oh, shit. And they immediately call the police. So right away. Yeah, what, you know, I mean, you're in this, like, beautiful, serene nature park, and then you stumble across two bodies. Yeah, like, I spy, but... Exactly. And did not want to participate in this game. No. So the couple immediately called the police and first responders were there within sure. minutes. And they discover Molly and Christine. Both women were um, gagged, blindfolded, oh, and bound whoa. with duct tape. Whoa. They had also both suffered gunshot wounds to the head. And Molly was declared um, dead on arrival. Oh, okay. Yeah. And unbelievably as they go to check Christine after verifying that Molly was dead. Yeah. Christine sits up and starts moaning. So they're like, holy shit. You know, I mean, immediately Christine is taken to the hospital. She's obviously in critical condition. And while she was in the hospital, they did confirm that Christine had been also sexually assaulted. I found mixed feedback on if Molly had been sexually assaulted Mm -hmm. as well, but they did confirm Christine um, from Christine's account that she had been sexually assaulted that night. So right away, the police are, you know, in investigation mode, you know, what the hell happened? So there, there's a lot of tall grass out in this nature park. So they're out there searching, looking for any clues and evidence throughout all this tall grass in this park. They do end up finding bullet casings that look like they came from a larger gun. So they have that luckily. And then they also find an energy drink can and some cigarette butts that are kind of near the area, sure. hoping that, okay, maybe this evidence is something that contains yeah. DNA of whoever was know, here, was here, right? That could provide us some form of information. So they do find Molly's driver's license. And at this time, it's difficult to confirm that it's Molly, given the extent of her injuries. I mean, she's been shot in the head. And so, you know, they they have this, but they do later confirm that this is is Molly. Molly's ID. Mm -hmm, Molly's driver's license. Yeah. And 
They do end up gathering a couple really quick witnesses, and two of them say that they heard what could have been gunshots or firecrackers just before midnight the night before. So like we talked about in the last case, you know, very hard to distinguish between the two sometimes. Especially if you don't know what gunfire sounds like. Exactly. Then yeah. So these were people that had houses near this overlook or this park yeah either they had that would be my assumption that they had houses or they lived close sure within within the neighborhood and so you know doing the math if these shots were fired if if those were the shots that were fired the night before just before midnight and the girls were discovered at 8 30 in the morning they had been laying there for well over eight hours wow which is a long time to be just laying there sustaining those types of in- injuries thinking yeah. of Christine, you know? And obviously the police are eager to find a motive, but so far at this point in time, they don't have any leads. But a question that is that is on the forefront of everyone's mind is, was this a hate crime? This oh. is a lesbian couple oh, out yeah. on a date, you know. That didn't it, even cross my mind. I was <laughs> like, what is going on? But yeah, I can see that. You know, just kind of something that initially popped up in their head as a potential motive. Yeah, you know, I mean, at this point in time, that's kind of really the only thing that they can go off of. These girls were loved by everybody, so they had no known enemies, you know, once they started getting into interviewing friends and family and all this stuff. And uh, Christine's brother, Hilario Chapa, had a hard time believing that the theory of a hate crime was true. He he says, quote, I know Texas has a lot of stereotypes, but South Texas is, re- is a really good place. You don't see a lot of hate crimes going on down here, and you don't hear about gay bashing or anything like that. So That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. No. It, it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. It wasn't his personal experience right. but you know there's always going to be a bad apple in the crowd oh, yeah. no matter how perfect of or accepting of a place yeah, you live in exactly so at this point Christine is obviously in the hospital and she was such a fighter this whole time i mean this girl just really really pulled through um initially she was in a coma for a short time and when she woke up, she regained the use of the right side of her body, like, mm. not like immediately, but relatively quickly. But the left side of her body that would eventually catch up took a significantly longer amount of time to regain use and and all of that with that side of her body. Sure. I just learned what that's called, too. It's like, I don't remember the actual medical term, but it's like hemispheric paraplegia. That Which totally makes sense. One hemisphere of your body. Uh-huh. So in this side, her left side. Right. That's crazy. I Yeah, I mean, that makes sense that there would be a name for it. Yeah. Hemispheric. Paraplegia. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Yeah. And sadly, it's in the hospital that Christine would learn that Molly had passed. Oof. She, um, mm. at this point, is unable to speak and has to rely on sign language mostly to okay. communicate and writing things down. Sure. So, luckily, in this in this uh, time of when she didn't have much of a voice, at least her body was coming back to the point where she could try to communicate in some capacity. 
but long-term Christine's injuries would leave her with um, missing her peripherals. Mm. So still to this day, she can't drive herself around because gotcha. she doesn't have that part of her Ooh, eyesight. That's weird. I, it would be so weird. Like, I, it's hard to imagine just only being able to see, yeah. like, straight on and not anything. Like having blinders on to the exactly. side. That's so weird. Yeah, exactly. She also suffered permanent hearing loss, and all of these injuries would take away a majority of her independence sure. indefinitely. I mean, thank God, you know, she didn't lose her life in the process, but she will forever need some form of assistance oh, of to course. be able to navigate the rest of her life. And she was shot in the head. And she was also shot in the head. That's wild that she survived that. It is wild because I mean, after the time that she spent there too. And and that's part of it too. Yeah. I mean, it's wild to think about and you know, this does happen from time to time where whatever the the weapon or, you know, whatever may be, how millimeters <gasps> Make Literal millimeters difference. make a huge difference. Yeah. And then on top of that, like you said, and then that she laid in a field for over right. eight hours bleeding. Bleeding out. Who knows how cold it was that night. I know it was in Texas in the summer, but still, still your body still goes through shock. And yeah, it's it's just crazy. It's crazy that she survived it. It really is. She's so lucky. So now that Christine is able to, you know, communicate in some capacity, the police are obviously eager to Fuck yeah. get any information yeah. that they can from her because they don't have anything to Even go the off timeline of. timeline or what happened. Exactly. Yeah. So they, so they're eager to get a description of the shooter. And fortunately for them, Christine does recall a lot of the details oh, of good. that night leading up to them being shot. So she tells the police a description of the attacker as being a white man in his 20s with brown hair, about 5'8 and 140 pounds. So relatively average, I would say kind of on the smaller side sure. of a guy, but, you know, relatively, relatively average. I mean, this at least rules out women. It rules out multiple men. Mm -hmm. It rules out. Uh, it rules out a lot. As it rules out a lot. Vaguely as it may seem. Uh-huh. It still gives them something, I think, to go off of. Yeah, and I think, you know, with this description being kind of on the smaller end of average, you know, you've yeah. eliminated any guy over six foot. Sure. Pretty much, you know, and, and anyone outside of those parameters. And so she gives them this description, but in like the week following, she would eventually work with a sketch artist to really refine this description oh, before shit. they put any, any sketches out to the public. Right. You know, they want to make sure that they've really got everything dialed in with all of that. And furthermore, she also recalls all of the horrific details of what happened to them that night. Wow. And she says, and it's weird how we get these intuitions, but she says when they were going out to the park that night, she just had a horrible feeling in her stomach. Oh my gosh. Being out there, yeah. you know, despite obviously how safe Molly felt, you know, to take her out there. Christine just had this underlying Gut feeling. Sixth sense, gut feeling, whatever. Because it was Christine's first time, but Molly had mm -hmm. been there before. Okay. Yeah, because it was where she wow. had been baptized. And she said that the girls were leaning on the edge of one of the overlooks, and then everything just happened so fast. A man had approached them and held a gun to Molly. I believe she said that he had held the gun to her side or her back. 
and he took them beneath the, the little overlook, um, area. And on the way down, both girls had kind of tripped and stumbled. And she remembers the last words that they had said to one another, just asking each other, are you okay? (sighs) And he had an odd way of speaking to the girls and he referred to them as girl number one and girl number two, as he's taking them down to this area and telling them what he wants them to do. Does he call them by name? Just calls them girl number one and girl number two. That's weird. Super weird. I'm like thing one and thing two. Like, right. Come on. And I think that this is really impressive. And it just made me reflect on God forbid, if I ever find myself in a situation like this to be really hyper-focused on any details that I can retain, because she even recalls the the specific type of glove he was wearing and he was wearing an Under Armour glove. Oh, wow. Which comes to stand out a little bit later. The man then forced Christine to duct tape hers and Molly's eyes and mouth shut, and then he raped Christine. They never found any DNA evidence from this rape, so they're assuming he obviously wore a condom. And again, this does not confirm in either way if he had assaulted Molly Molly. as well. So... Still don't have um concrete answer on that, but he did sexually assault Christine. Oh, because she wouldn't have been able to see. Exactly. If he did something to mm-hmm. Molly. Gotcha. And then from her recollection, after that, he then shot Molly and then he shot her in the head. <sighs> Christine describes blacking out for a bit. She's not sure of how long. I mean, her eyes are duct taped. She can't see anything, um, but assumes that she probably woke up in the middle of the night. And she said, I knew something was wrong right away. My left side felt funny and I just kept fighting. I tried to get up and get help and I couldn't. I kept falling back down. And I'm sure she blacked out again after that point. And hours went by until the morning when they were discovered by that couple. Bird watching. Who was bird watching in the park. So all of this is great. You know, they have a surviving victim of this crime. It seems that she can recall the exact cadence of how everything right. happened that night and she's re- remembering specifics so That's they're great very very lucky that they have what they have right. at this point in time but now they need to identify a suspect who the hell did this? obviously yeah. and why but anyway exactly <laughs> yeah. so even with the even with the sketch and christine's account of what happened that night police go without any solid leads for like almost a year oh shit i believe the man was wearing a mask as well oh and so she had no way of recognizing him i think she probably would have said something if his voice had sounded familiar sure so she's like i don't know who would have just seemed random just seemed super super random But finally, almost a year later, in the summer of 2013, they would identify their um, first person of interest in the case. So the police were able to get DNA pulled from the cigarette butts and the energy drink can. But they don't release any information to the public right away and are quietly investigating a man by the name of Dylan Spellman. And Dylan only lived about three blocks away from the park. (sighs) Oh, 
And furthermore, Dylan's girlfriend had previously been interviewed by police and said that she and her boyfriend had been at the park that day. I don't know when she came around for this interview, if she saw the commotion going on at the park. So she went down to see what was going on and then ended up talking to police or what? That seems like the most sure. likely. Or if they canvassed the area for right. interviews. Okay. Exactly. Because they lived so close. Right. So they could have gone door to door, you know, trying to find sure. information from I mean, people. it's 2012, so I don't know that ring cameras were around, but yeah, they could have asked Exactly. For cameras and whatnot, yeah. Exactly. I'm sure people had surveillance cameras at that point. Probably. Even if ring wasn't a thing. So, yeah, she tells the police that her and her boyfriend had been at the park that day. And when you compare the sketch that Christine and the sketch artist had come up with, it's hard to really accurately say if he resembles the sketch. Mm. I mean... Guys can grow facial hair and shave their facial right. hair. They can grow their hair and cut their, I mean, you know what I mean? Right. And especially within the span of a year, it's pretty easy to change one's appearance, right. I feel like, especially for men. Well, not only that, but to be fair, she's remembering something that while she was under a lot of fucking stress. Exactly. And trauma. Exactly. So if... You know, unless it was like a hook nose or something. Right. That was something super. But if he was wearing a mask too, mm-hmm. you're guessing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but what the sketch doesn't show is Dylan's height. So remember, Christine had recalled the guy being oh, about yeah. five eight. Dylan is six feet eight inches tall. Oh shit, that's tall. It's super tall. Damn. Like my dad, my dad's six four. Yeah. I mean, I know I'm short at five three, but my dad's six four, and I'm like, you're a pretty big dude. Someone that's six eight is like, do you play in the NBA? Right. You're kind of ginormous. How's the weather up there? Can you please get that off the top shelf for me? Thank you so much. Yes. You're a tremendous help. Like we're all, both you and I were surrounded by really tall men. Yeah. That's a big, that's a big height. It's huge. From five, eight, like I'm five, seven. Right. To go to six, eight. I mean, a foot difference is significant. That's a lot. Yeah. So, but the police aren't ruling him out just yet based off of that because Dylan does have a a record of criminal activity. Okay. And it runs very coincidentally to a lot of the information that we've gathered so far from this case. So at the time of the shooting, Dylan had pled guilty to a home invasion in Nevada and was staying with some people in Portland while he waited for his sentencing. So he was currently staying in Portland at the time of this double shooting. And Dylan was one of five people arrested for robbing a public official's house. This crime contains some details that were just, like I said, like eerily close to those of this double shooting. The victims of the robbery were duct taped, just like Molly and Christine had been. The five people involved as they're committing this robbery also referred to themselves by numbers. Oh my gosh. Okay. So while Molly and Christine were referred to as girl number one, girl number two, the five people in this robbery, you know, one, two, three, four, five. That would be one hell of a coincidence. Such a coincidence. But not really. But not really. 
and it, 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 this gets pretty wild. He was also on Portland police records after he received a warning just a month previously before the shooting while he was in that same park with a woman kind of getting frisky. <laughs> this was a consensual encounter. Okay. So I'm assuming it was him and his girlfriend. Oh, But yeah. he had been engaging in sexual activity in this park okay. just a month prior. Can't do that, kids. Get a car. Exactly. Exactly. Or a room. (laughs) Even better. Yes. Yeah. He was also at another park just about five minutes away from Violet Andrews Park the day after the shooting where police responded to a shots fire called. Oh. Or a shots fired call. So he's, I mean... There are just so many coincidences. There's a lot following this young man. He's looking good for it. He's he looks very very good for it, and they just all of his movements seem to run just really coincidentally parallel. And he likes to so many things, and he likes parks, right? So when police interview interview Dylan to get even more weird. He does admit being in the park earlier that day, the night of the shooting, just like his girlfriend. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Claimed, mm-hmm. But he denies having any involvement. They give him a chance to prove his innocence with a polygraph test, which he takes and fails. Ooh. Which to me, I know that polygraph <laughs> tests are used a lot. I don't personally find them to be the most reliable. No resource someone can be nervous just because they're talking to police exactly so or they're just because they're in that room wrapped up in wires exactly so the fact that he fails this isn't like a you know a huge ding for me but given everything else it's kind of like okay it it at least gives the cops leverage to start the conversation totally is there something you're hiding exactly and with that you know slapping a you failed result in front of that person. Mm-hmm. It's probably going to make them talk. Can you elaborate? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when the police are interviewing Dylan, he also asks them a very, very weird question. He asks, if he confesses, how long will he spend in jail? <sighs> but he doesn't ever actually confess. Ugh. He's just curious about the length of his jail stay, if he were to. I mean, my guess is the cops probably coming at him being like listen dude you failed a polygraph test Mm -hmm. this is what we have on record for you from our police department Mm -hmm. these are the coincidences if you want to call them that right that make you look really really good for this crime so you live really close uh you have access to guns like the list goes on my dude exactly yeah so i don't know if that was a question out of nervousness or what but uh no (laughs) No. No. What innocent person says, if I were to confess, how much time would I get for this? Are you going to give me 30 days or are you going to give me 30 years? Right. Like, can I just be done with this conversation and go get 30 days? No. No. You don't ask that if you're innocent. It's just such a bizarre question. If I confess. I know. I don't know. Let's try. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Why don't you confess and then we'll we'll see see what you end up getting. (laughs) But even with all of these odd similarities, they don't have any actual hard evidence to tie Mm. him to anything. Well, I thought they had the cigarette butts with his DNA. They do, but he admits to being in the park. That's true. So he could have just been guilty of littering. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't love that. No. But 
it's an explanation. Sure. Unfortunately. No. He's admittedly saying he's there. Exactly. Sure. So the police lean into Christine in the hopes that she can ID him, but she is unable to pick him out of a photo lineup. Mm. She also reiterates the fact that the shooter was only a little bit taller than her again, which is a significant difference from Dylan being six foot eight. Yeah. But the police somewhat take her at her word and what she remembers. They're also taking into consideration the fact that she has been through an incredibly traumatic event yeah. and has suffered literal brain damage. Yeah. So although she has all of these details and recollection of what happened that night, they're kind of like, how much does she really remember, you right. know? So the police kind of run this loose theory that maybe he was standing on a different level of the hill as her, which would have which would have skewed her perception oh, of his height. Yeah. So maybe he was in front of her and she was behind him, kind of closing that gap on the height difference. Yep. But nonetheless, they hit a dead end with this lead and their case stalls. Damn. They don't have anything to fully charge or detain him. Do we know with anything. how tall the girls are? Um, my guess is that Christine is probably about as tall as you like five yeah. six five seven where she's getting like that number female. of uh, yeah, yeah where she's getting that number of five eight from um because she does say that he was only a little bit taller than her yeah especially if they were like walking downhill from like an overlooked deck to walking down the hill mm-hmm. yeah that but then again the gap. But then again, when I was looking at, like, the police's explanation of that, like, why would he be in front of them to be on the downhill Mm. slope? Like, he would be walking behind them. That's a good point. Being even taller than six foot eight. Right. If you were walking on a slope. So, I understand where they were reaching with that and trying to run that theory, but to me, it just doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. Okay. Yeah. Nope. That makes sense. So... Their like, case stalls. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, like, it not making sense makes sense. Yeah, it not making sense makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So their case stalls, and pretty much to the exact anniversary, one year later again in June of 2014, police get a really, really big break. Oh. According to some arrest affidavit records, on June 12th, 2014, the family of Christine discovered a letter in the mail at their home, and it was addressed to her father. The letter to the Chapas provided details of the case that had not been revealed to the public yet. So investigators also state that that letter was in a wrapped Ziploc bag that had, quote, I was told to deliver this or die. I can't find her. Please help. Etched into, like, the plastic of the bag. They immediately turn this letter over to the police. Yeah, I still have a really big question mark about what that is even supposed to mean, even after I get through this kind of explaining the ins and outs of the letter. So the letter is written from the perspective of a hitman who was hired to kill Christine, allegedly. He also discloses details of calling the girls girl number one and girl number two, and how the girls were duct taped. And those were the details that police had not disclosed to the public. Sure. So this letter is obviously coming from somebody that knows something. Yeah. Um, but the police are kind of wondering if this letter is a hoax. But the knowledge of the details just like can't be That's ignored. A lot. Right. And I don't know why someone would be playing a hoax. 
with this. The the the. Sorry, when I get fired up, I start yeah. stuttering. Uh-huh. <laughs> but the details of crow number one, number two, like calling them by that, that is not one very common thing to do. No, not at all. Um, I can't see that this would be like a detail. Obviously, it's a detail that was not put out to the public. So them knowing that is just eerie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is obviously somebody involved and... I mean, in in my mind, I would be thinking at this point in time, okay, we had questioned that Dylan guy. Yeah. He's not in prison, so he could still be our guy and have delivered this letter. Or are we looking at somebody completely new? Yeah. You know, so just a huge, huge question mark at this point. The letter also pointed the finger at another individual for the double shooting who's who had been the person to supposedly hire this hitman. And he lives in Layton, Utah. This individual, they, they track him down and this guy denies any involvement with the crime. And he does have an alibi that puts him in California doing military training the night of the shooting. And he has paperwork to prove that he was there. Like on base. On base. What the hell? Where's the story going? I, I, it, it gets it gets even wilder. Wow. So just buckle up. Okay. It's crazy. So he's questioned, you know. Okay, well, we can obviously exclude you from the suspect list because you were in California when this happened. So who would be trying to frame you for a murder like this? And You got me on the edge of my seat right now. (laughs) I want to know. Yes. And so one name does come to this guy's mind, and it's a man by the name David Strickland. And he was a former roommate and friend of his, but their relationship had gone south. So in earlier in 2014, so right now we're in June, so Mm -hmm. earlier in 2014, this guy's home in Utah had been burglarized by David Strickland. Okay. And the police in Texas recognized David's name. Just Just four days after the shooting, David is now living down in Texas. David went to the police to tell them, and this is so bizarre to me. David went to the police to tell them that he had been transferring guns from his car into his home in Portland when he spotted a white passenger car driving down East Bayview the night of the shooting. I'm guessing that this is a neighborhood near near the park. Like a road near it. Okay. So he's going into the police as like this good Samaritan of like, hey, I was doing this and then I saw this car driving towards the park, you know, the night, you know, that you guys are looking into. And then that same day, David had approached a group of people in the park that were mourning the girls. There was probably some some memorial being set up. And so he approaches them at the crime scene, telling them that his girlfriend, Laura, knew one of the victims. And one of the witnesses there said that, you know, after he approaches them and brings up this, you know, relationship between his girlfriend and one of the girls that David then goes and starts kind of like searching through the grass near the crime scene. (gasps) Obviously like he's looking for something. Yeah. So back to the latent case of the robbery, they had seized evidence from Strickland's vehicle that they would end up sharing with the Portland investigators after determining that it was relevant to their case. To the girl's case. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what 
evidence they have, this is a long list. <laughs> so from David's vehicle, they had seized a Glock 45 firearm and magazines, a Kimber 45 firearm and magazines, an aftermarket barrel and suppressor, so like a silencer, yep. mm-hmm. Under Armour gloves, Ooh. which is the brand that Christine had identified yeah. the attacker wearing, a federal 45 auto ammunition, and a backpack that contained a condom, personal lubricant, flex handcuffs, an expandable baton, bolt cutters, pepper spray, a headlamp, a knife, another pair of handcuffs, firearm holsters, a lockpick kit, chemical lights, a tourniquet, and magnesium and a magnesium fire starter. Oh, just your regular camping stuff. Okay. <laughs> That's exactly yeah. what Tyson said when I read this list off to him. He's like, oh, so your normal backpack. Back. Yeah, normal exactly. Backpack. Yep. Totally. So this is everything that was seized from that event wow. in Utah. Wow. And it's just like, hey, holy shit, that's a long list. That's a long list of what, <laughs> not normal items. <laughs> not normal items at all. If there had been a granola bar in there, that would have like just... Seriously. It's camping. You don't have a Starbucks no. gift card in there or anything? No. <laughs> no. Just, uh, you know, wow. your normal crime kit, yes. I guess. In addition to, to the affidavit that states that Chapa's family had also seen a black sedan driving away from their home the day that they received the letter. Oh. And David and his wife own a black sedan. Of course he does. Of course they do. Furthermore, they traced his cell phone records and they showed that David had been in the area at the time that the letter had been delivered. Oh, okay. Or within some close yep, yep. time frame. So with all this information, Portland police were given permission to test fire one of the handguns belonging to Strickland in in the evidence that that had been turned over to them. And the shell casing matched the ones that were found at the scene of the shooting. Oh, shit. Was that the 45s? It had to have been. Those are big. Yeah. And remember, they found big shell casings at the crime scene. Okay. So as far as David's arrest and charges, uh, June 20th, 2014, David was arrested at his home in Texas for murder, assault with a deadly weapon, and aggravated sexual assault. He pretty perfectly meets the description of the sketch that they had come up with with Christine, much more than Dylan did. Sure. But he was never charged with a hate crime. Even though they had kind of talked about that in the beginning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, hate crimes are, from what I've read and heard, you know, they're really, really hard to prove. Yeah. And nothing led them to believe that the girls were like outwardly showing that they were a couple to support that theory, to pursue those charges sure. or anything like that. But that's what bug, not bug temper, pissed him off or right. wanted, made him do something. Yeah. It was exactly. more because they were two females. Right. Yeah. And there was a source that talked more in depth about everything that the letter said. And the letter was kind of strewn with like some homophobic slurs. Oh. So in that respect, it's a little bit surprising that he wasn't arrested on charges of a hate crime. Yeah. But it 
didn't seem to be the main motive motive of it. So, but furthermore, David's wife, Laura, was also arrested at the same time and charged with tampering with evidence. Police think that she may have been the person who wrote and delivered the letter, but they couldn't prove that, and those charges were eventually dropped, and she wasn't ever held accountable for anything. Weird. Yeah. I mean, you could compare handwriting. I guess you could try to fingerprint it, but my guess is they probably wore gloves. I don't know how that would be tampering with evidence, though. I really don't know either. Unless that Ziploc was at the scene and it was moved. Exactly. Huh. So maybe it was just like a really awful attempt of for them to try to get her to get her to to get some information from her or get them talking. Yeah. Yeah. But again, the charges were were eventually dropped. So they take David in for interrogation and David admits to everything. Oh, wow. To the murder, to writing the letter, everything. And in that maybe is partially why the charges were dropped on Laura also because Mm -hmm. he took, you know, the fall for it. But just as quickly as he confesses, he also recants his confession, (sighs) saying that he was just telling police what they wanted to hear. They still... Bullshit. They still take him to trial. (laughs) He pleads not guilty during the trial. And they, you know, bring Christine up to testify. And she even had a hard time identifying David in a photo lineup. Yeah, but again, she was... (laughs) The middle of she could have been killed that night. Exactly, and it was dark. I mean, we're talking the middle yeah. of the night. I, I someone believe, come up behind you. Mm-hmm, I believe that there was a mask involved. Yeah. So the fact that she can't just blatantly pick him out is not like a nail in the coffin I mean, for the her. Odds of there being a mask in that backpack are very high. <laughs> exactly, amongst the other twenty-eight yes. things that were in there. Yeah. But even though Christine can't identify him out of a a photo lineup, the jury does end up finding David guilty. Oh, wow. And in 2016, David is sentenced to life in prison. Wow. So at this point, case case shut, right? Like, you've got a confession. No, what else? It is not a shut case. No. So this shit is about to get wild. What? Okay, so. Even more? Even more. I Even still have questions, wild. but okay, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll wait. Hold on. <laughs> so in November of, t- of 2016, which is only about two months after his sentencing, uh-huh. some new information comes to light and some new technology. So evidently there was a pubic hair that was found on Christine's clothes and David's legal team got approval from a judge to test this for DNA. Sure. They're, you know, obviously hoping that it doesn't match David. And so one of the questions I had was, okay, how and why was this not brought up in trial? The first one. And we don't really have a solid answer about this. But supposedly before the first trial, they had compared this pubic hair to one of David's, I think just like looking visually, just visually. And so not like the most reliable form of doing hair comparisons, but the date the the comparison did show that the hair didn't match David's visually, visually. And so it was excluded and it seems that they knew that the whole trial 
but no one just made a big deal of it. And oh, probably because the prosecution didn't use it as their evidence. Exactly. Okay. And that's exactly what I wrote. You know, it makes sense why the prose- prosecution wouldn't bring it up because it didn't really work in their favor that the hairs didn't line up. But you kind of maybe would have thought that the defense would have leaned into it for lack Hell of yeah. evidence. But then again, also wasn't the most reliable form of technology. That too. So you're kind of not throwing a Hail Mary, but you're kind of throwing something out there that isn't really going to land super solid. Plus you're fighting against him recanting a confession. confession. Exactly. Okay. So at the time of the trial, there wasn't yet a new found way of DNA testing available that they had now. I mean, this is only a two-month difference, so I think it's pretty wild that this new technology popped up in that short amount of time. Um, It was a very lengthy process to get results back. Like supposedly this can take up to years. Wow. Which sounds excessive. Is it just because of the cue? Like the line? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But this new test would get down to such specifics about who the hair came from that they would be able to identify someone's like, physical description, their national origin, all the way down to if this person had freckles or not. Wow. Like could get really, really, really super specific. So they got this approval from the judge and they would end up using this technology and confirming that the pubic hair did not belong to David. Wow. It belonged to the original suspect, (gasps) Dylan Spellman. No. Yes. What? So, like, how the hell does that happen? I sure as fuck don't know. <laughs> so you tell me. Well, <laughs> I will tell you. The the DA and the prosecution aren't entirely concerned because they're like, oh, it's entirely possible because Dylan was in the park a no. month earlier, pants down with somebody oh in the my park God. that... <laughs> One of his pubes could have just blown through the wind and landed on Christine and stuck there. (laughs) The odds of that. The odds of that are little to none. Astronomical. In my opinion. Yeah. But. That's their defense. with all of this evidence, all of David's attempts for an appeal have been rejected. What? They don't use that to acquit him or to give him any sort of appeal. They they literally land on the fact that this is purely just a coincidence. What? It's mind-blowing. So the DA is digging in their heels mm-hmm. that it was David. Mm-hmm. Even though... Even though they have this pubic hair that fuck? matches... It's so crazy. And David still to this day remains in prison in Texas. And Dylan has never been charged with anything in a relationship to this crime. You're fucking joking. Nope. I think that they leaned in so hard to David's confession and pretty much just David's confession. Wow. I know. 
And I mean, the Under Armour glove thing is sure. pretty specific. And I think that it points to that. They do have some ballistics leaning in their favor. That's true, too. Dylan has no problems admitting that he was in the park. He has another witness saying that he was in the park. We have an explanation for why his pubes would be flying around. Kind of um, an explanation. <laughs> That's... A, uh. But and David's case, car was in the area when the was ladder the was dropped off. And his cell phone records. And this is Whoa. just... When I was reading and listening about this case, when it got to this part, I was just like, this is the craziest because it could really go either way. Was your face like this? Because I don't know what... like I, Yeah. There's, okay, so David, we have ballistics. We have the letter being dropped off and his car being dinged around mm-hmm. that area. We have his quote-unquote confession. Mm-hmm. We have the Under Armour glove. And the Under Armour glove. And we have a much more dialed-in recollection of Christine. With the height. With the height and the description, and David matches that much more closely but than Dylan But for Dylan, Dylan we have proximity. Mm-hmm. We have we know he was there the day of, mm-hmm. which is also, on the flip side, why they're not charging him. Mm-hmm. Well, no, because he didn't say he was doing anything lewd the day of, so, oh my God. Okay, wait. And then... <laughs> But you, ha- I'm like doing a T chart in my brain for this. They've got his DNA on the, the energy drink and the cigarette butts that's right. that were found within there. proximity um, of the girls. And the the case where he had named they had named each other one through five. Uh huh. Duct tape was used. Duct tape was used. Yep. And a fucking pubic hair. <laughs> I know. And so I think we leave this kind of wondering, is the right or the wrong person in prison for this crime? My chest hurts right now. (laughs) It was such a turn, a plot twist that I did not see coming at all. At all. And so... So the... So, so many questions... (laughs) For, like, David's defense, because I'm sure he would have to hire someone again to, like, look into these things for him. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, there's so many things I want to know. Like, is there any fingerprints on the duct tape? Right. Right? Was there any pubic hairs on Molly? Although mm-hmm. sexual abuse or assault was not confirmed. Mm-hmm. But we also can't rule it out. Exactly. Um, Is there a cell phone ping? For Dylan. Right. At the mountain at that time. Right. Um, uh, Yeah, like what's Dylan's alibi? What makes him what makes him not there at that exact time? Like right around midnight. Uh Uh-huh. Wow. I know. It's I Wow. There's like a a very unsatisfying conclusion to all of this because I I think it's six to one, half dozen to the other. I think that it could sway both ways. I think both cases have strong evidence. That's weird. But then it's like, what's circumstantial and what's concrete and what can we... But you said the bullet from David's gun 
match the bullets from the, the ballistics scene. test match the so that means the strings on the bullet mm-hmm. but oh man i know this is just like going back and forth i know you you could ping pong for days about it oh my goodness i think i'm gonna sleep <laughs> dream about this tonight yeah, I mean, I'll I'll send you a lot of the sources that I used, and I mean, so he's still David's still in jail. David's in jail, in prison. Yeah, so he got life. Yes, without the possibility of parole. I believe probably. so. Surprised Texas didn't do more. Right. Holy shit! Yeah, it's just crazy. I mean, on a happier note. Christine continues to recover. Yeah. She's in a new relationship. I believe she's engaged and she's working on a book about. Oh, about the incident. Count me in. Yeah. So I'll look into a little bit more on on what the the name of that book is and if it's come out, because I mean, this case, you know, it happened in 2012. We have some form of a resolution in 2016. So, yeah, I'll have to look in to see if that's something that ever got completed and and is out. But that is the case of Molly O'Glean, who unfortunately lost her life in this situation. But the the details of finding who done it is crazy. That's still I am in shock right now. It is a mind fuck. Wow. Yeah. So. Um, like, I don't know if I, if I should feel bad for David or not. I know. I, I know. Because if he's sitting in prison and he didn't do it. Mm-hmm. I am so curious to find out, like, wow, is there a recording of his confession? Um, Not that I have not found publicly. when I was doing my research, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Wow. So, because I want to know if it was more like, does he have meant? I have so many questions. <laughs> I know, and I mean, it's not to say that he couldn't fight for an acquittal at some point. You know, I mean, something. I I don't know. I don't know. It's crazy. An appeal of some sort, right? Yeah, an, an appeal. Yeah. Yeah. So sorry to leave you on a. I mean, it's not a cliffhanger. It's but not. It it, it also it makes leaves. you wonder. And it, and it, yeah, man, I can't think of anything specific right now because my brain doesn't work like that. But DAs or you know district attorneys, they they pick the fights they want to fight. Mm-hmm. And obviously, it sounds like this is not a fight that they want to fight. No, because they don't want it to seem like they have an unsolved case or they fucked up or right. they got the wrong person. Right. So it's an ego thing sometimes, a lot of the times, uh-huh. when there is evidence saying, hey, you might have gotten this conviction wrong. Right. And they're not willing to, to look at it again. Mm-mm. Right. They're not willing to budge Mm-mm. because they don't want to seem like they fucked up. But damn. Yeah, I know. And I never <sighs> want to see the wrong person in prison. Of course not. But then at the same time, as we're sitting here talking about all of this, I'm like, but he did could, he do it? He could be the right one. Right. So, 
I'll just leave you guys feeling real anxious for the Thanks. rest of your day with that case. <laughs> wow. Now that you've heard it, though, let us know what you think. Yeah. What are your thoughts on this? Are you going back and forth like I am and probably won't be able to, you'll lose some sleep over this tonight? <laughs> I am. Um, especially when this case comes out, actually. Exactly. I'll probably lose some more sleep over it. That is a great case. Thank you. I I was trucking right along. I was like, yeah, this is good. You know, this is solid. It's a good story. And then that last little bit came up and I'm sitting there in the room with Tyson and I'm just like, you what have got fuck? to be fucking kidding yeah. me right now and you know I've, I've seen other podcasts and other people that have platforms like youtubes and whatnot they and it's happened before where um there's such a, a following that sometimes um people feel very strongly towards one direction mm-hmm. and there could be some group action mm-hmm. you know but that's not always been the right answer either right um you know some because of people with their platforms, some people have been assaulted, accosted because they think like, oh, they got away with murder. So mm-hmm. don't get any ideas. Mm-hmm. Don't go find Dylan. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> don't go find Dylan. Um, but fuck. Yeah. I know. It, it truly just kind of leaves you speechless. It really does. Lots of questions, but speechless. Lots of fucks. But yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah. Speechless. Exactly. Um, cause I want to, it just, it makes, oh, this little part in my, my chest is like, is the wrong person in jail? And if so, that's not right. I know. But also there's all these other things. Ah, okay. I'll it's stop. A, it's a satisfying mm. ick. I'll stop rambling. Yeah, cause that's no, all I'm good. doing, but <laughs> damn. Okay. Well, I hope you guys like that case, yeah. um, for, you know, more stuff on the podcast follow our social medias we're on instagram facebook and twitter you can find any of those under the handle or the tag of stranger danger podcast in one of those forms yep or the other or tiktok or uh, and tiktok yeah yeah i always forget about tiktok me too But, um, yeah, I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. We'll be back next Monday, so don't be a stranger, and we'll catch you soon. Bye. Bye.